Thank you, Pastor Self. Turn your Bibles, you would please. You know, if I, if I get your notes out of the uh, bulletin there for you, the prayer sheet, and we're going to be turning to the book of Psalms in just a moment, please. I got my notes all messed up here between Sunday's notes and today's notes. Give me just a second here. My goodness. That's the right one. Psalm 106, please. As you're turning there, just a quick review from last week. We're talking about the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And let me give you a definition of the two, and you may write it down if you want to. God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. God's permissive will is God letting you have your way. How many believe God knows what's best? And uh, two things about God we can trust his will concerning. First of all, the Bible says God is omniscient. You know what that word means? It means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. Someone said, did it ever occur to you? Nothing ever occurred to God. He knows everything, every aspect about our lives and about what's best for us. So God is omniscient, but also God is love. My friend, God not only wants what's best for you, he knows what's best for you, and he wants what's best for you. And so it's important for you as a child of God when you face a situation that you want his will above your will. I believe most of the problems I have in my life is I want my will instead of his will. And so I gave you two examples, going to quickly you four examples of the difference between God's perfect and God's permissive will. The first one we saw last week, it's your notes there, is the prophet Balaam. The prophet Balaam. Prophet Balaam was a prophet for hire, and what happened, if you're not turn it, but Numbers 22 we covered last week, the king of Moab saw Israel coming his way, and every people that they confronted, God's people were defeated. And he was concerned because he saw them coming his way, and so what he did, he sent messenger to the prophet Balaam, and he sent a call about rewards of divination, he said, we, we, if you will curse these people, we know we could defeat them in battle. And so Balaam went to the God and says, I've been sent to you with a desire to curse these people. And God says, you can't curse what I've blessed. And he said, do not go with them. Do not do what they said. So he went back. Balaam went back to the king of Moab and says, no, I can't go with you. I cannot curse these people because God's blessed them. And then Moab, the king of Moab, sent more honorable people with, may I use the word, more money to uh, bribe him to ask him again. So look on your sheet there, please. Again, number one underneath the prophet Balaam, God's perfect will put down there is God's perfect will, thou shalt not go with them. In other words, the result of the request, thou, verse 12, thou shalt not go with them. Basically, uh, don't go with the king of Moab, but the people don't go with them because you cannot curse what I blessed. 
That was God's perfect will. However, when the king sent more honorable people with more money and bribed him and said, we'll pay you this amount if you curse these people, uh, Balaam went back to God and asked him again. Now, did he, did he need to do that? No, God didn't change his mind. So the, God's permissive will, number, verse 20, is this. He said, and God said, and it came into Balaam at night, said unto him, if the men come unto thee, rise up and go with them. So first of all, thou shalt not go with them. That's God's perfect will. And then Balaam come ask again and says, okay, if they come, go ahead and go with them. That's God's permissive will. And the cost was, number three, that Balaam lost his life. When Israel did attack the Moabites, guess who was with him? Balaam was with him, and Balaam was killed in battle with the rest of them. So God's perfect will, do not go with them, do not curse them. You can't curse what I blessed. God's permissive will, when they come to you, go ahead and go with them. And the cost was his life. Number two, we saw this also last week. The second example was, the, uh, was that of God's Israel, people of Israel. And basically in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, is basically uh, they come to remember Samuel was old, and he gave his sons to be judge, the judges over Israel. And they were vile men. They took bribes. And the people of Israel come to Samuel and says, listen, your sons are, are vile. They take bribes. And said, we want to be like all other nations. We want a, a king to rule us. And that was contrary to God's will. God's will was that he, he wanted to rule over them himself. And so basically uh, they said, no. We want a king like everybody else. And so basically what God did is God said, okay, give them what they want. But the cost would be three things. The cost would be the loss of your children, the loss of your possessions, and unanswered prayer. If you want a king like everybody else, you can have that. That is not my perfect will, but I'll permit that. But the cost would be you'll lose your children, you lose your possessions, and you will not get any answers to your prayers. That was the second example. We covered that last week. Now, the third example, which we left off last week, is now look in Psalm 106, please. Psalm 106. Look with me in verse 9. Psalm 106, verse 9. It says there, And he, to my God, rebuked the Red Sea also, and he dried up. It was dried up. And so he led them through the depths and through the wilderness, verse 10, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. That's what God did for his people while crossing the Red Sea and the Egyptians followed them. Then it says in verse 11, and the waters covered the enemies and there was not one of them left. Verse 12, then believed they his words and sang his praise. So because God delivered them from the Egyptians and had the water fold in them and wipe out all the Egyptian army, it said now they believed his words and sang his praise. But verse 13, it says they soon, what? Forgot his works and waited not for his, what? Counsel. In other words, his will concerning what to do, uh, where were that? And verse 14, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert, verse 15. And he, to my God, gave them their request, but what? 
sent leanness unto their soul. Sent leanness unto their soul. So basically here it says that, that they did not look to God for direction, but they depended on themselves and followed their own desires and wishes. God gave them what they wanted, but sent leanness to their soul. The word leanness means dissatisfaction and bitterness. God said, I'll give you what you want, but I'll send with it dissatisfaction and bitterness. We need to realize if God gives us what we want, contrary to what he wants, it always comes with bitterness and dissatisfaction. In other words, if you complain enough, God may give you what you ask for, even if it's not what's best for you. If you complain enough, God may give you what you ask for, even if it's not what's best for you. If you're not getting what you want, perhaps God knows it's not in your best interest. Have you ever prayed about something you wanted so bad, but God didn't give it to you? Maybe he knows something's better. And sometimes you need to trust him. But many times when he said, we come across, Lord, I don't really care what you want. I want what I want. And God says, okay, I'll give you what you want. But I'll send leanness to your soul. With it will come bitterness and dissatisfaction. Let me give you a story I read one time. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it proves the point. There was this young lady who was uh, married and wanted children and tried for many years to have children, could not have a child. And she prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. And finally she got pregnant and had a little precious baby. The baby was a few months old and the baby became very sick. And the doctors came and did everything they could to treat the baby. And it, over a long period of time, it got sicker and sicker and to the point it was all ready to die. And this mother was crying out to God, said, God, you answered my prayer. You gave me a baby. And now the baby's dying. Please heal my son. Help him to get better. And it's getting worse and worse. And she knew within her heart that the Spirit of God, bear witness, that basically, God's going to take your child home. And she basically said, God, I don't care what you want. I want my son. Give me my son. Heal my son. And the process, the son started getting better. And the son started getting well. And uh, as time went on, the little boy started growing up and, and, uh, and, and become very rebellious, disobedient, had no interest in God whatsoever, even though she was a Christian, Christian home, become a teenager and run around with wrong kind of people, doing wrong kind of things got involved with drugs and alcohol, and died of a drug overdose. Died in unsafe condition. And she looks back, he says, you know, I realize God knew what he was doing. If my child would have died when he was a baby, he'd be in heaven. But now as a teenager, he died and he's in hell. If I would just allow God to have his way. And so basically, again, I encourage you, I always want what God's will for your life. Let me give you another example. Another example. This is the third example. The salvation of men. The salvation of men. That's on the back side of your sheet there. God's perfect will is for all men to be saved. How many are grateful for that? It's God's will for all men to be saved. Turn with me to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy. It's God's perfect will for all men to be saved. If you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ as Savior, it's God's perfect will that you might be saved, that you would understand the gospel and trust Christ as your Savior so heaven will be your home and you can have eternal life. That's God's perfect will for your life. In 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to see the difference in salvation between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 4, notice the first two words. Speaking of God, it says, who what? Who will? This is God's will. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. This is God's will for all men. God's will that all men might be saved and have eternal life. That's his will. Go with me now to 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter. This is God's perfect will for all men. Second Peter chapter 3, please. 2 Peter chapter 3. Another verse many of you know. Again, talk about God's will concerning our salvation. We saw there in Timothy that who will have all men to be saved. That's God's perfect will. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. It said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, not what? Not willing that any should perish, means any should go to hell, but that all should come to what? My friend, that's God's will for all men. It is not God's will for any man to die and go to hell. He wants all men to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, to change of mind and trust Christ as Savior. However, God does permit you to have your own way. If you're here tonight and you never trust Christ, a pastor, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be saved. I don't want anything to do with God. God says you can have your will. His will will never overpower your will. You have a free will to choose to accept or reject Christ as Savior. So God does permit a person to reject Christ. And there's many people that do that. They know the gospel. They know how to be saved. And they, don't, they choose not to. And God does permit people to reject Christ. John 540, I believe it will be on the screen. It says, he spoke to these people. He says, ye will not come to me that you might have what? Notice, you will not, that you have a free will to either to accept or reject, to choose to trust or reject Christ as Savior. And these Jewish people, the Pharisees here, he says, you will not come. He didn't say you cannot come. He said, you will not come to me that you might have life. So God's will, people to be saved, but he will not violate their will. And if they choose to reject Christ, they can but there's a cost. There's a cost always having our will over God's will. The cost is twofold. It's God's condemnation and eternal damnation. The cost of rejecting Christ, rejecting his will for salvation, is God's condemnation and eternal damnation. If you would please look with me in John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. Again, we're talking about salvation of man. God's perfect will is that all men might be saved. will come to the knowledge of truth and trust Christ as Savior. However, God will not violate your will. And if you choose not to trust Christ, that is not his will for your life, but he will allow that to happen. In John 3.18, many of you know this verse, talks about condemnation. It said, he that believeth on him is not what? 
condemned. When a person believes in Christ as Savior, they are no longer condemned. But read on. But he that believeth not is condemned what? Already. Why? Why is a person condemned to hell? Read on. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, the choice of heaven is yours. God's paid the price through his son. He's finished the work on the cross by his son, Jesus Christ, offers it to you freely. He said, whosoever will may come and take the waters of life freely. But some people say, not for me. They choose not to. They reject God's perfect will, salvation. And God said, okay, you can have your will, but it's going to cost you. And it's going to be a cost of eternity in a place called hell. Look on the screen there, please. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be what? Damned. So again, there's always a cost to rejecting God's will. God wants all men to be saved. So my question to you is when you saw the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissive will, which will do you want for your life? I hope you want God's perfect will. So let me give you some principles how to obtain that. Let me give you some principles on obtaining God's perfect will. There are three of them. hope you write them down. The first one, letter A, here's the first principle. If you want to obtain God's perfect will for your life, letter A, completely and fully trust God. Completely and fully trust God. Go with me now to Proverbs chapter 3, please. I encourage everybody to turn with me here. We're talking about how you can obtain God's perfect will for your life. Remember, God's perfect will is you letting God have his way. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Many of you know this verse by heart. What's the first word there in Proverbs 3, 5? Trust. So in order for you to obtain God's perfect will, you need to completely and fully trust God. It said, Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, what? Acknowledge him, guess what? He will direct thy paths. Verse 7, be not wise in thy own eyes. <laughs> Basically, what it's saying here is, first of all, you want God's will, you need to trust him. Sometimes his way may not make sense to you, what he wants may not seem what you want. But the Bible says, trust him with all your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding. Your own understanding may seem something different. I know a man one time that wanted to buy an, a car. It was a used car, but it had low miles. It looked very, it's like new condition. And he uh, had, it was a very good price from a person he trusted. And he, and the, he wanted to buy the car. But he prayed about it. And God made it clear, this is not a car for you. Now, his own understanding said, listen, this car has low mileage. It's a good car. I've checked out uh, stats on it. Everybody likes the car. It gets good mileage. It lasts a long time. And, and the Spirit of God very clearly said, no, that's not a car for you. But he, his own understanding said, yes, it is. And guess what he did? He bought the car, and it was a lemon. <laughs> It had all kinds of problems. It kept falling apart, kept dying on him, and he basically lost all the money on it. 
He said, I just wish I would have listened to God. His own understanding taught him something different. So he leaned to his own understanding, and it cost him severely. So God said, be not wise in your own eyes. So basically, here we're saying, believe God knows what is best no matter the circumstances. Believe that God knows what is best no matter what the circumstances. The circumstances may tell you something different. Your own human reasoning says, this seems right. This seems the best for me. I believe that I ought to do this. God says, no. So don't. He says, lean not to your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So believe God knows what is best, no matter the circumstances. So the first principle, completely and fully trust God. Let it be the second principle. Purpose now to do his perfect will. I'll explain this to you. Purpose now, and the word now is in all capitals. You ought to highlight it. Purpose now to do his perfect will. Go with me to John 7, 17, please. John 7, 17. Again, we're talking about how to find God's perfect will for my life that I can have his best and his way in my life. It comes, first of all, by completely trusting him. Don't lean to your own human reasoning, your own wisdom. It may be contrary to what God wants. Trust him, and he will direct your paths. Next, purpose now to do his perfect will. John 17, 17. John, excuse me, John 7, 17. And notice there are two wills mentioned here. There's man's will and God's will. Mention one verse. Verse 17. If any man, what? That's your will. If any man will, do what? His will. Notice that. Here's your will and here's God's will. If you will do his will, it says you shall know of the what? Doctrine. You're going to know his teaching, his ways, what's best for you. What it's saying here, if we purpose to do his will, he promised to reveal it. If we purpose to do his will, he promised to reveal it. Sometimes we say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to Basically, you tell me what to do, then I'll do it. No, it doesn't work that way. The willingness to do God's will always precedes the understanding of his will. You got to write that down. I don't think it's your notes. The willingness to do his will always precedes the understanding of his will. God first wants you willing. So, Lord, the only way I will not do what you want me to do is if you don't tell me. That ought to be the attitude of every Christian. Lord, the only way I will not do what you want me to do if you don't tell me. I will do it. You tell me. And our problem, problem is we want God to tell us, then we want to decide. If any man will, in other words, you will do his will, you shall know the truth. So you need to purpose right now, even though I don't know what God's will for my life, I'm, whatever it is, I'll do it. I will do it. If we purpose to do his will, he promised to reveal it. Again, the willingness to do God's will always precedes the understanding of his will. Let us see the third principle. When we pray for his perfect will, he promises to hear our prayers. When we pray for his perfect will, he promises to hear our prayer. 
Go with me now to 1 John chapter 5, please. 1 John chapter 5. So back to one proceeding as you turn the first time. John, when should you purpose to do God's will? Now. <laughs> not when you hear it. Not when you uh, he will do it. I'm going to do it now. Then he'll show it to you. Let us see when we pray to, for his perfect will, he promises it to hear our prayers. Look in 1 John chapter 5. Look with me in verse 14, please. 1 John 5, 14. John said, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, what? According to his will, he what? He hears us. And we, if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we desire of him. So what he's saying here, if you pray for his perfect will, he will answer that. Now, what you pray might not be his perfect will. But if you know what his perfect will is, pray it. And God promises to hear your prayer. But listen carefully. However, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. So pray for his perfect will, and he will answer that. Number three, we're just about done. Time slipping away so fast. Let me get, remember Christ's example. We saw, first of all, examples in Scripture of God's perfect and permissive will. There were three of them. Then we saw the principles of obtaining God's will. Now, number three, remember Christ's example. Christ's example was one of trust and submission. Christ's example to us was one of trust and submission. Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And look what he said in John twenty two forty two. I believe it will be on the screen. What did I say? Luke. I'm sorry, Luke. I, but I believe the verse will be on the screen. Is it on the screen? Yes, it is. Jesus speaking, he's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What was the cup? The cup of judgment, the cup of suffering. He was in the garden. He knew that his destiny was the cross. He knew he was going down the cross to pay for sin. In his humanity, he was not looking forward to that at all. So in his humanity, he was saying, Lord, if there's any other way I could pay for sin, let this cup pass from me. But what did he conclude? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If, it be, if I be willing, Lord, remove this cup, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Complete trust and submission. He trusted his father, submitted himself. And let it be, write this down, this is a proper conclusion of every one of your prayers. A proper conclusion of every prayer. When you pray for something, you say, Lord, I need a new car. Everything I see about that car is the right price. Everything looks good. And I really like to have that. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. You may be single and you see a, a, a young man or young lady that you're interested in. And you say, Lord, everything I see in this person looks good. I think they'd make a good spouse. I think they'd be a good person for me. 
everything, and I want them so bad, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That should be end of every one of your prayers. Now, I got six minutes. Write this down. I don't know if this in your notes. God gives his best to those who leave the decision to him. God gives his best for those who leave the decision to him. Let me give you an illustration God used in my life. When I was a teenager, in fact, I just turned 15. Back then, you can get your restricted license. My brother had a motorcycle, and I always wanted a motorcycle, so I bought a motorcycle. In fact, I had three best friends. Their name was Bill, Steve, and Paul. We hung around together, and all four of us ended up having a motorcycle. My friend Bill had a 350 Honda. My friend Steve had a 350 Bridgestone. My friend Paul had a 250 Suzuki, and I had a 90cc. And we, <laughs> and we would drive all over Land Lakes. Here we come. Here comes Bill. Here comes Steve. Here comes Paul. Here comes me. And went all over the place. And I wanted to get a bigger bike so bad. And I was um, praying about it. I was uh, mowing lawns to raise money to buy me a bigger bike. And, and uh, so as I was, in fact, I was mowing a lawn. I was trying to raise money. Again, all my 90cc Bridgestone going to these houses. And as I got through the lawn, I noticed across the street there was a motorcycle in the driveway there. And it had a for sale sign on it. I went over and looked at it, and it was a 305 Honda. If many of you know that, any of my bikes, it was called 305 Superhawk. It was a nice bike. It wasn't quite as big as Bill's, but it was a lot bigger than mine. And the price tag on it is exactly the amount of money I had. It was a nice bike. It looked good. I knew about the bike, and I was very interested. And the man says, what do you think, son? Would you like to buy it? And I said, sure. You got the money? I got the money. But I said, listen, uh, I, I want my dad to take a look at it. I trust my dad's judgment, and if I can, can I show it to my dad? He said, sure. You leave your bike here, you take my bike. And I drove the bike over to my house. I went to the front door, and I went inside. Dad, come on in here. I want to show you something. My dad comes out. I said, Dad, look at this. A 30500, low miles, good, everything about it is nice, nice bike. And I have the money right now in the drawer in my house. I could buy it right now, Dad. What do you think? My dad looks at it, and he says, that's a nice bike. But he says, son, I think you ought to wait. I mean, my countenance has dropped. I've been working months driving it, and now I can have a... <laughs> and so I said, Daddy, you're sure? Look at it. I can get it right now, Dad. He says, yes, you can. It's a nice bike, but you ask me what I think, I think you ought to wait. So I got back on the bike, drove it back over the man's house, and I pull up and drive when he comes out. He says, he says, son, what do you think? I said, well, I like your bike. I love to have it. My dad says, I think you ought to wait. He said, you don't need to listen to your dad. Go ahead and buy it. I said, no, I've learned to trust my dad. He knows better than I do. And so... I, try, I, I didn't buy it. I got back home. I, I go home. And I went home. I was, I was depressed. I was down. I said, hey, I'm so tired of being the last one 
as we drive bikes around. And so the next several months, and all of a sudden, one Saturday morning, my dad comes in our bedroom, and he wakes me up early in the morning. He says, son, get up. I want you to go with me. And so I got up, and he, he, I got in the truck, and he drives into Tampa. And we pull in the driveway, and let me back up a minute. Uh, while all this was going on, I was trying to save for money. We used to go down to the Honda shop, which is in North Nebraska, and I was looking at a 350 Honda like Steve, my Bill had, and trying to raise enough money to get that. But over on the side over there in the Honda shop was a 750 Honda. And it was much more money than I could afford, a huge bike. In fact, it was the biggest bike Honda made at the time, and it was the fastest production bike in the world. We'd go over and drool over it, not anyway, we'd get it, but anyway. So anyway, my dad woke me up that morning, and we pulled in the driveway, and guess what was in the driveway? A 750 Honda, just like I used to drool over. And we get out and look at it, and he said, my dad says, son, what do you think of this? I said, wow. This is, I love this, Dad. He says, the money you have, and I'll make a difference. You could buy it right now. And so I bought it. Now, what happened, the man that lived there, he worked with my dad. He come to an inheritance. He bought a brand-new car, a brand-new house, and a brand-new motorcycle. Spent all his inheritance, and he was broke. And he sold that bike half of what it cost new and the best about money I had, and I drove home on a 750 Honda. And then as we rode around, I was the king of the hill. <laughs> I had the bike that all my friends drooled over, and after I had a while, I was out in, uh, in the yard, and I was shining, polishing on heat. My dad comes out. He said, David, he said, a few months ago, when you came up in the driveway with that 305 Honda, and you asked me what I thought, I told you I ought to wait. When I said that, I, had, I knew about the 750. But I would not tell you that. I wanted to see if you'd trust me. He said, if you would have bought the 305, I would have said, that would have been fine. I would have never told you about the 750. I would have never told you what you missed out on. But he said, son, because you trusted my judgment and took my word, that's what you get. God leaves his best for those who trust in him. My friend, you may be wanting something so bad right now, and God's telling you, no, no, no. Trust him. What he has in mind for you is far better than what you think he won't. And you need to trust him. I'm so glad I did. I put that 90cc bridge out in the front yard, and I sold it. <laughs> and I was driving with a bike that I used to dream over, all because I trusted my father. And I encourage you to do this thing. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he what? Would direct your paths. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. Christian, is there something that you have your mind or your thoughts or your desires set on and you want it so bad, maybe it's an item, maybe it's a vehicle, maybe it's a home, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a job, maybe it's something, everything in your own human reasoning, everything looks good, everything seems right, and you've been praying about it, 
and you have got no answer. And it's almost seemed like God is saying no. My friend, trust God. Trust him. He has something better in mind for you. It may be a better vehicle. It may be a nicer home. It may be a better job. It may be a better person. Whatever God wants for you is far better than what you want. You just need to trust him. He may be saying, not now. You need to wait. And I encourage you to wait. God gives his best for those who leave the decision to him. And I encourage you to do that right now. Just surrender your will to his. Just say, Lord, I want your will. I want you to have your way in my life. And my friend, I promise you, you'll be happy you did. Father in heaven, thank you for using my father and teaching me a great truth when I bought that motorcycle. Uh, the motorcycle I used to dream and drool over that I would never have got if I got my, one of my own will. But because I trusted my father, I got something far better than anyone else had and something I dreamed of simply because I trusted his judgment. Father, we need to trust you. You love us so much. You always want what's best for us. Sometimes what we want is not what's best for us. Learn us to trust. Learn us to rely upon. Help us to wait. Wait upon the Lord. And you will give us the desires of our heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.